the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. God is my only audience. God is your only audience. We do these things. We stand on God's moral law on the basis of God as our audience, not the people. Why do you think they killed the disciples? Why do you think they crucified Jesus? Because they refused to be righteous on the basis of what the world says. Their righteousness was geared towards honoring and glorifying God. We're not superior to other people. We're not saying that we're better than other people. We're standing on this revealed truth and righteousness on the basis of the fact that God is going to judge us according to the righteousness that he has given us. You need to see that, and I need to see that. Our hunger and thirst and pursuit of righteousness has nothing to do with what we want people to see. It has everything to do with what we want God to see us become. You know, you're being conformed to the likeness and image of Jesus. That's what God's doing to you right now. Why are you at church this morning? Why? And those of you watching, uh, why do you even bother to watch? I tell you why. Conviction? And you know it's the right thing to do. Are you doing this out of your own desire? No. This is what God placed in your heart. So you have that inclination to lift up the name of the Lord and worship Him and praise Him. That's what's going on here. You don't care about what the neighbor says. You know, why are those people li lifting up their hands? It doesn't matter what they say. Why are those people not practicing this or practicing that? They're not conforming to the system of this world. Hey, this world is not our home. We're passing through. We live here. We enjoy the fruits of this, this God-given world. But I have a better home in heaven. I have a better home where Jesus is, where there's no place for pain and suffering. Our righteousness is for God and God alone. Our righteousness is not for the world. It's intended to worship God. I'm, I'm not trying my hardest to live right for God or for anyone else. It is my act of worship towards God. It is Him I want to please, not anybody else. You know what David said when he sinned? By having this affair with Bathsheba, who, which caused the death of Bathsheba's husband. When God finally confronted David, you know what David said to God? Lord, only to you have I sinned. His audience is God. Your audience is God. He's the only one that matters. Jesus, while he was being taken to the cross, while they're pushing those nails on his hands, you know what he said? Father, forgive them, for they do not know what they're doing. You know what Jesus is saying? Lord, God, these people have no idea how you will deal with wickedness. And so forgive them because they don't know that they're violating your righteousness. That's what I did when I repented of my sin. I didn't care about what my mother said. I didn't care what my father said. I didn't care what anybody said. I didn't care what pastor said. When I got on my knees and repented of my sin, 
to God, it is God alone that I want forgiveness from. And then the rest will follow after. All of us will give and receive forgiveness. There is a right and a wrong. There are moral absolutes. And only the Holy Spirit of God can make a person conscious of God's moral law. When I speak against lifestyle, when we go against lifestyles that are not contrary to what God says, we're not attacking people. We're not attacking people if they're engaged in whatever it is that they're trying to engage. We want to win them and get them to heaven. That's my motivation. That's your motivation. We don't try to say people, hey, God hates you because I'm more righteous than you and all of that. None of that nonsense. We want them saved because like Jonathan Edwards says, and I'm not a big follower of Jonathan Edwards, but he says, you know, pity is the person who has to face the judgment of an angry God because God hates sin. He hates it so much he wanted to kill everybody but decided to kill Jesus instead. So when we speak out against sin, we're not saying we're better than people. We're saying we want to honor and praise God. There's a third reality that secures our hope, and that is peace. Peace keeps us focused on the cross. Peace keeps us focused on the cross. Look at the, what the verse says. And with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. Peace keeps us focused on the power of the cross of Jesus. The cross achieves for us both temporal and eternal peace. When you have peace with God, when you receive the peace of God and peace from God, I know you're tired of me saying that all the time, your hope and mine are much more secured. In fact, peace inside a person's heart helps him conquer any kind of anxieties. Okay? Local anxieties and global anxieties. We have some personal anxieties and we have like world anxieties, you know. We have rising unemployment. We have this pandemic messing everybody up. We have all kinds of internal issues that we have to deal with as well. And where do we go to for hope? We don't go to the government to give us hope. I, you know, we, we, we put those people in power so that they'll exercise wisdom and we pray for them so that they exercise with wisdom. But when push comes to shove, my hope is in the Lord. My hope is in what God says. Your hope is in what God says because that's the only thing that will give us real peace as we go through the, these times of turmoil. It secures us, gives us a way out of these anxieties and this the realities that we face in the world is not greater than the reality of the hope that we have in Christ Jesus. You have the hope of eternal life. That hope is one day going to remove this corrupt system in favor of an incorruptible system. And we will put our incorruptibility into the hands of God who can make it happen. There's a fourth thing that secures our hope, and that is faith. Faith makes us more than conquerors. And I know there's a million sermons preached on faith, and I'm not going to go belabor this point, but the Scripture says, the shield of faith which, which you can, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. You know, it's interesting, this, this illustration, this symbolism of faith as a shield, because it seems like it's a defensive weapon. You know, a shield is like a, a, a defensive weapon that should protect you from attacks. 
But but as you read this closely, it's not just a defensive weapon. It says it will extinguish the fiery darts of the evil one. So it's not just a defensive weapon. It also destroys the fiery darts, the things that the devil brings our way. So before saying that, oh, my faith is going to shield me from this. No, your faith will also defeat the things and, and, and dis extinguish the fires that comes our way. You know, I, I, when, I, when I read this, I, I remember my mom's slippers. Now, if you look at those slippers, you would think that they're designed to protect her feet from the elements of the ground, you know, and just like any other slippers. But my mom uses her slippers as a weapon, and I can guarantee you that, all right? I saw her one time destroy five cockroaches with those slippers. And better yet, one time my brother and I were fighting and fighting and she keeps telling us to stop and we won't listen. Guess what? The weapon came out. Came out of her feet. And you know what? Before we can even say, mm, we got it. Those slippers are not just to shield her feet. It's to make sure that we are put in line. Well, that's the same thing as faith. Faith is not just to protect us from the devil. Faith is for us to destroy the works of the devil. You know, we give ourselves so little credit about, you know, about how we engage the enemy of our soul. You know, the devil is a created being. He has no more power than what God allows him to have. I'm not saying that to just pump us up. I'm, say, I'm saying our faith is more than just to cower under. Our faith is given to us to destroy whatever comes from the enemy. We are more than just survivors of attack. We are conquerors, the Bible says. We can defeat the works of darkness. Faith drives our hope and makes it secure. Faith is the substance that that which we for of that which we hope for and it gives us evidence of the things that we haven't yet received or realized in other words without faith our hope will not be secured you know you will not be saved without faith all right we will not be we need to put our faith in the words of Christ faith comes from hearing the bible says and hearing by the word of god God makes sure that we have the capacity to exercise that faith. All right? So I want to I wanna remind us, I want to interject this and remind everybody that, that faith is, is to be exercised. You know what? God gave us two things so that we can exercise faith. Number one, our eyes. Our eyes are given to us by God so that we can exercise faith. Do you know that? And the second thing is our ears. Our ears have been given to us by God so that we can exercise faith. Because, you know, people put their faith on what they see. Right? You know, people, I know people, you know, they say, oh, I saw a ghost. When you see you saw a ghost, you're putting your faith in the fact that spirits can be seen. And I wouldn't go that far. I don't believe in any of that. But it, 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 it proves the point that whatever we see kind of gives us an opportunity to put our faith in. Right? Jesus performed miracles for the purpose of what? So that they may see and believe. Nevertheless, those many people didn't exercise their faith. They saw, but they didn't believe. What about our ears? Well, we hear, 
right? What we hear should incite us to exercise faith. But there are people, they hear, 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 and hear, but they still reject the word of Christ. So, if you have eyes to see and ears to hear, just thank God because you're being given the privilege of responding to Him by faith. And when you can see with the eyes of faith and hear with the ears of faith, oh, you have hope. And I have hope. Number five, salvation secures our hope. Salvation reveals our true identity in Christ. If you're saved, you know it. Our salvation reveals to us our true identity in Christ. Scripture says, take the helmet of salvation. What is a helmet for? Oh, they say a uh, helmet is uh, something to protect your head. You know, I, I, I give them that. But it's more than that. When you're a member of the military, U.S. Army, back in World War II, when you wear a German helmet, a Nazi helmet, you're going to get shot by the American soldiers. Why? Because part of your identifiable uh, uh, nature would be the helmet that you're wearing. So if you're wearing a GI's helmet, you're good to go. But if you're wearing the wrong helmet, you're liable to get killed. So this salvation is designed to get us to belong. It's about identity. Uh, the hope we have is not based on our achievement, stature, stature, or legacy. It's in our identity. Hope is not a matter of being. It's a matter of belonging. I know I'm, a, I'm saved because I belong to Jesus. I belong to the family of God. It's very important. You know, a lot of people uh, will say, yeah, you know what? I don't have to belong to anybody else. I know I believe in Jesus, and I know I belong to God's kingdom. You know, you don't have to bother me about having fellowship with you and all of that. Well, guess what? Jesus is the head. Who's the body? We are. This is about belonging. Being a Christian is about belonging. And this thing called salvation, it was binds us together. It, it binds us with a common hope. It's a matter of, not a matter of being, it's a matter of belonging. Our si salvation is what identifies us with Christ. We are saved to belong, not to be on our own. The New Testament, especially the writing of Paul, uses a very strong word to describe belonging to Jesus. Okay? It's the word doulos, and that word means slave. When you belong to someone, there's ownership of that someone. You're not free, you belong. And one of the great paradoxes of the Christian life is that we have been set free only to be held prisoner by another. All right? That's what it means to be a Christian. I'm free, but I'm a dualos. I'm a slave of Jesus. Paul addressed himself as a slave of of Christ. And he's not saying he's slave because Christ is mean to him or trying to... No, 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 no. He belongs 100%. A prisoner has no way to get out of that cage because that's where he belongs. You know, he's owned by that jail, okay? So we have been set free so we, became, we can become prisoners of Christ. This is a spiritual term that is used to describe how solid our hope of eternal life really is 
in Christ Jesus. How many of you watched that old Andy Griffith show? I mean, I watch that all the time. I mean, I love watching those shows. I don't know why. It just gives me a nice feeling about how simple life can be, you know. And there's this one character in that show. His name was Otis. And Otis is, is a, a very unique character in that show. He's a funny guy. He's a drunk. He's the, he's the town drunk. He gets drunk, and he always gets arrested because of his drunkenness. And so uh, Andy, the sheriff, with, with Deputy Pipe, had reserved a jail cell for him to go in and out as he pleased. He doesn't even have to get arrested. When he gets drunk, he gets up, he goes to the jail, picks up the key, opens the cage go inside, spend the night, and when he's sober, he goes home, all right? I mean, that's, that's this character of Otis. That is not what a Christian life should represent. When Jesus enters our life, we surrender the key to the Lord. We can't just go in and out of that slavery. We belong to Jesus. We don't have the right anymore to be that free person that we said we want to be. And people are saying, well, you know, don't I have the freedom? You have more glorious freedom that you can ever desire when Jesus is your jail master. And I know I'm not using the right terms for that, but that describes our relationship, our belonging to the Lord. Paul says, for me to live is Christ is, and to die is gain. I have been, I am a prisoner of Jesus. We are held captive by His Word. There's a sixth reality that secures our hope, and that is, of course, the Word of God. The Word of God is the catalyst to the power of prayer. The Bible says the sword of the Spirit is the Word of God. It is called a sword of the Spirit because the Word of God is the primary way through which God communicates with us in prayer. It's the catalyst that, that it moves us in the direction of God. So when we pray, we don't just pray according to our own will, but according to God's will, and we cannot separate the Word of Christ from communicating with Christ. Prayer and the Word goes together. God moves according to His Word, not according to our wishes. God is not moved with how beautiful our words sound in prayer, how eloquent we are. He is moved by, by how much knowledge we have of who He is. You know, it's a good way to frame our praying. You know, I scale my prayer, praying with how much knowledge I have with what God already says. It makes for a very powerful you know, way of engaging God because He communicates to us primarily to His Word. In the Old Testament, you will read over and over again, if you're careful to obey my command and the instructions I'll give you, it will go well with you. If you listen and obey, you will be blessed. That's basically the Old Testament uh, concept of, of God responding to His people in prayer. When you obey my command, you will be blessed. In the gospel, Jesus says, if you love me, keep my word. Keep my word. Do you know why our prayers are somewhat dull and powerless? Because they're not based on God's expressed will, because we lack knowing the word of God in a deeper way. You and I can pray all we want all day long, 
it will not amount to anything, much less give us hope, because somehow our will gets in the way. God moves according to His will, and we enter His presence according to His terms, not our own. And finally, of course, final reality of our hope is prayer. Now, prayer is God's invitation for communion. His invitation for communion. Paul says, and pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Prayer is an invitation from Jesus. Yeah, think about that. Let that sink in for a moment. I've been harping on this many times. But it's an invitation. Come, Jesus says. Come to me. Those of you who are heavy laden, and I will respond to you by giving you peace. Come to me. You, you are broken hearted. And I will replace your mourning with joy. Joy unspeakable, full of glory. It's an invitation. The direction of prayer should not be from earth to heaven. It's from heaven to earth. And sometimes when we pray, it's like I'm looking at all of these situations right here. Why not start with looking at what's going on in the upper room, so to speak, <laughs> in the heavenlies, okay? Because prayer, the power of prayer originates in heaven and it comes down to earth. So our prayers must start from heaven and it must flow down to our situation. That's how we get real hope. If we put our prayer and hope for our prayers on the basis of what's happening in this earth, that's not going to give you a whole lot of hope. Because heaven is above. It starts from above. There's an old song based on the psalm that we always sing. It says, Great is the Lord and greatly is He to be praised in the city of our God, in the mountains of His holiness, beautiful for situations, the joy of the whole earth, is Mount Zion on the side of the north, the city of the great king. Where is north? North is up. Prayer starts from above. It doesn't start from here on earth. Our hope, loved ones, is in heaven. And it comes from heaven. So our praying must be prompted by the Spirit. The Spirit testifies to our spirit that we are God's children and we have a home in heaven. The will to pray comes from God. It's an invitation from God. The invitation is open to everyone who will open their hearts to Him. Maybe you're here this morning and you have been praying but there's no prompting. You know when I first came to faith in Jesus I was only 16 years old. And I came to faith in Jesus in a very, very large church. And it was a very, very long time ago. Some of the details are sketchy to me now, but there's one thing that I knew was real. And I hope it is real for you today. Because the moment I came to faith in Jesus, there was that tug in my heart. I don't know where that tug came from. I don't know where that pounding came from. I don't know where it came from. It could be from elsewhere but I believe now that it came from the prompting of the Spirit of God I don't know what that is but I know it was real I pray that you too will make that decision to put your hope in Jesus Christ today bow your heads
while every head is bowed and eyes are closed, I'd like you this morning, those of you who don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, those who are watching, let me extend the invitation from Jesus. I'm not the one inviting. It's Jesus who's saying, come. Come to Jesus. If this relationship with God has not been real to you, you can trust God's word that he intends to make it real. You need to trust him by faith. He is the hope that you have and have been looking for. And you can find him. He's not far away. You are a confession of faith away from the hope of eternal life. Amen.